0: Well, friends, the year was 1993, and I was sitting in a United States Marine Corps recruiting office there in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As I look back on that day, it was like it was yesterday. There on the walls around me there in the recruiting center were all these posters, posters of these clean-shaven, muscular Marines doing all sorts of courageous activities. One picture showed an image of these U.S. Marines that were repelling out of a helicopter, Another poster showed Marines charging out of a boat to take a beachhead. Another poster showed U.S. Marines marching together in perfect unison. There they were, crisp and clean, just decked out from head to toe in their Marine blue dress uniforms. Well, across the room from where I was seated was a television. And looping on this television was this continual loop of United States Marine Corps TV commercials. And then the commercials would take a pause and they would intersperse footage taken from Paris Island there in South Carolina, which of course is one of the most famous boot camps in all the world. And there I'm watching on this TV screen, I'm watching U.S. Marines and they're training and they're firing weapons and scaling walls and they're climbing rope ladders and some of them are scooching across these steel wires that are like 50 feet off the ground throughout the whole video package there was this inspiring very thematic patriotic music that's playing in the background i mean you you couldn't help but watch all of these commercials and these video loops without feeling so inspired almost to the point where where you're, you you want to know where the pen is where do you, where do you grab the pen and where can you sign the dotted line for uncle sam well on that particular day in scranton i wasn't there to sign the dotted line but my college roommate was uh, we were there at Baptist Bible College for two years, and uh, he had a dream of joining the Marine Corps. And that's exactly what he did. And so on the day that he was to go and, and sign his official papers, he asked me if I would please drive him to the recruiter's office. You know, one of the things that I remember most about that special day was, was as I sat there, my, my tremendous sense of, of nerves... I was very nervous I'm not normally a nervous person I don't get spooked very easily but I remember that day just being tremendously on edge as I sat there in the office and as I think back on it now I know why I was so nervous it's because at any moment I was worried that a large man in camouflage pants with 20-inch biceps was gonna come in at any moment and force my name on the dotted line too see, at that time, my dream wasn't to go into the military. My dream was to be a pastor. My dream was to be in full-time Christian service. But wouldn't you know, friends, the, the more I studied God's Word, the more I studied the New Testament Scriptures, the more I learned how much Christianity and soldiering have in common. Because the Bible says that every person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ is a soldier of Jesus Christ. And every soldier of Jesus Christ is engaged in this worldwide spiritual warfare. So friends, we're going to open our Bibles today to Ephesians chapter 6. And this message today that I've entitled, The Call to Battle. Friends, today you and I are going to be reminded that as Christians, each and every one of us, we are all enlisted. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a soldier. And just like we have those Marines out fighting on the front lines, well, we too are on the front lines today. You and I are soldiers. We are engaged in a spiritual warfare. It is a spiritual warfare of tremendous significance. So friends, if you haven't done so already, I want you to join me here in Ephesians chapter 6. And today we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 18. Now we're really jumping into the very final chapter of this book. So let me just quickly kind of remind us of, of the context of what Paul has been sharing here in this special letter that he wrote. Paul the Apostle is the author of this inspired letter of Scripture. Paul wrote this letter to Christians. They were ancient Christians living long ago in the ancient city of Ephesus. And this is a letter that Paul wanted to write to these Christians. And Paul had much to say to them. He shares much truth in this letter. Truth about the Christian church, and especially how Christians are to carry out their lives as followers of the Lord Jesus. It's interesting if you study it through in Ephesians chapter 1 to 3, you'll learn about the wealth of the Christian. In other words, who we are in Christ, what's been given to us, what it means to belong to Jesus, what it means to be in his body. That's chapters 1 to 3, the wealth of the Christian. When you get to chapter 4, you learn about the work of of the Christian. Chapter four, you, we learn how Jesus put us into His church. He's equipped us, everyone, for the work of the ministry, which builds up the body of Christ and advances the cause of the gospel around the world. Then you get into chapter five, and in the early part of chapter six, Paul presents the walk of the Christian. How you and I are to conduct ourselves. How are you supposed to live each day as a Christian? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And if you are filled with the Spirit, how is that supposed to show up in your various relationships as a wife, as a husband, as, as children, as parents, as employers, and as employees? Well, family, Paul's concluding word here to the Ephesians in chapter 6, the section we're in today, talks about the warfare of the Christian, the warfare of the Christian, this spiritual battle that every single Christian is engaged in. Paul's going to talk to us about the enemy. The real enemy that we're up against. And Paul's going to talk about the, the weapons, the provisions that are given to us in order that you and I might stand secure in such dark and evil days. Family, Scripture teaches us that until Jesus returns, you and I are in a battle. It is a great battle, a spiritual battle. It's a warfare and, and from now until the day that either you physically die or the day that Jesus comes again, you are going to be engaged in spiritual battles. Your whole Christian life is a series of spiritual skirmishes that you're involved in. And if you're going to win some of those skirmishes, well, you need these insights. You need the wisdom that we're going to study here today that God gives us. So, family, as we look here today, we could call this a, a wartime text. A wartime text in Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 to 18. How can Christians like you and me, how can we win the battle? As a believer, what do you need? What do you need to do in order to be victorious in those daily skirmishes that you're engaged in? And if we could even broaden it out to the whole entire body of Grace Baptist Church, what is it going to take for Grace Baptist Church to keep marching forward for Christ? Well, family, today I want us to talk about three actions, three specific actions that are given to us here in the text. What will it take for you and I to be victorious and to keep marching forward for Jesus in this spiritual warfare? Three actions we're going to talk about today. Here's the first one. Number one, you need to embrace the mighty strength of God. Number one, you need to embrace the mighty strength of God. Look with me at God's Word here. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 10, Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now, friends, just before we start to really dig in to the insights of this text, let me just say right up front that, that I'm not going to be able to say all that could be said about this amazing text here, this this armor of God text and the spiritual warfare text. There's no way in just the short amount of time that I have this morning that I could ever say all that could be said or every last detail that could be said that's contained in these verses. Uh, there was a uh, famous Puritan pastor uh, whose name was William Gurnall. And William Gurnall wrote a book in the 17th century. It's a legendary book based on Ephesians 6. The title of that book is called The Christian in Complete Armor. So he decided to write a book about this warfare section of Scripture, the armor of God. And when he was done, his book was nearly 1,200 pages in length. And each one of the pages featured single-space text With double columns on each page so what I'm saying is there's a lot that can be said about spiritual warfare and particularly about this passage that we're in this morning so what I want to say to his friends is we're gonna really consider more of an overview today Uh, we can't possibly say everything that could be unpacked uh, from this special text Now again, we're talking about spiritual warfare this morning. Spiritual warfare, what does it mean to be a a soldier for Jesus Christ? Well, you know, when that topic comes up, many Christians, they start to back away. I mean, many Christians get a little nervous when the subject of spiritual warfare and being a soldier of Christ, they get a little nervous. Uh, Some Christians think that's just a little too extreme for them. Uh, Some Christians think that spiritual warfare is something that's reserved only for those, for those diehard Christians. You know, the people who are really all about it. You know, that, that's really for them. And they, they would say, I'm more of just the, the moderate Christian, so I don't want to really get into all that spiritual warfare stuff. I, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, of studying about Satan or demons or, or something about the realm of the invisible. And some Christians get a little nervous about that. Friends, I want you to see something here as verse 10 begins this section. I want you to see who Paul's talking to. Is Paul talking to some special little fringe group inside of Christianity? Is he talking to the people who are in that special late night study group who really like to get into the the weeds, get into there on spiritual warfare and Satan and demons and, and fighting a spiritual battle? Is that who Paul's talking to? Well, look at verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, my brethren. He's speaking this to the whole church. He's speaking this to men. He speaks this to women. He speaks this to teens, young people. He wants all believers to know that this spiritual warfare applies to them. Dear friend, this applies to you. This isn't some message that you just switch off and say, well, that really doesn't apply to me. Oh, no. This very much applies to you. This, this applies to every single Christian listening this morning. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, Scripture says if you have believed in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Bible says Satan and his forces have put their crosshairs on you. They are out to attack you. They are out to do anything they can to derail you from a life of faithfulness to Jesus. Satan would love to... Dis- to sidetrack you, distract you from a life that could be effective in spiritual things. And so that's why Paul opens up this section. He tells all Christians, right? He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Friends, here's the first thing that we're learning this morning, is that the power we need, it doesn't come from us. The power that we need doesn't come from us we are going to have to stand against this very powerful, potent, spiritual foe. He's an enemy. He's a spiritual enemy. He's an unseen enemy, and yet he's so formidable in that he's always on the attack. He always has his evil minions trying to sidetrack and distract and undermine. This has been Satan's play for for thousands of years now to sidetrack, to sideline, to undermine the work of God. So, Christian friends, if if you're going to be successful as a believer, if you're going to have a vibrant, successful Christian life where you're racking up spiritual wins, where you're winning those little skirmishes that you're battling against, well, Paul says, you need strength. You need strength. Where does that strength come from? It doesn't come from you. It comes from the Lord. It comes from above, from God's mighty power. And you all understand this. You've all filled a glass. You've all filled a coffee mug. How do you fill it? That water glass, that coffee mug, it doesn't fill itself. It doesn't fill itself. No, it's filled by that waiter or waitress who pours the liquid in. It's a receiving of strength. And that's what Paul's talking about here. God is the one who's active. We are the ones who are passive. We are on the receiving end of the strength that he gives. We could rightly interpret this little phrase here in verse 10. We could rightly interpret it this way. Be strengthened in the Lord. Be strengthened in the Lord. You could even interpret it this way. Let yourselves be strengthened. You hear the difference? It's passive. Let yourselves be strengthened. So Christians, even though Paul is issuing this as a command, It's so amazing that the command is not for you to find your own power. The command is for you to let God fill you with His power. Only His divine power is going to win the day. So many Christians love Philippians 4.13. It's been such an encouragement for Christians down through the centuries. Remember what Paul writes there, Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you, you hear it there again? To Christ who strengthens me. Paul knew full well that it was the power of Christ working in him. That was what would strengthen him for his Christian life. That's what strengthens believers for spiritual warfare. And listen, not only did Paul need this strengthening, he wrote to the Christians, he knew they needed this strengthening, I need this strengthening, and you need this strengthening too. Dear friends, this church is about to go into a time of transition. A transition time where a new leader is being sought, a new pastor. And during this time of transition, the believers in this church are going to need fresh strength. You're going to need fresh strength to bind together and hang together during this time of transition. There's a recognition that has to be understood by this church family that there is a spiritual battle going on. And in every time of transition, that is when Satan loves to shoot his arrows. When there's a transition from one leader to another, there's a crossover of leadership. And that's a perfect time that Satan loves to come in and see churches get fractured, start fighting, start gossiping, start to get fearful, start to get worried, start to get upset. We don't want to see Grace Baptist Church Give ground. You need fresh strength. You've got to call out for it. God is the one who gives it. God is the one who pours it in. So we need to say, Lord, we need your strength. We need your strength for this time. Now let's move on. Here's a second insight. What do we need to win our battles? As individual Christians, as the body of Christ worldwide, and even this church right here, what do we need to win the battle? Number two, you need to employ the whole armor of God. Number two, you need to employ the whole armor of God. Look at verse 11. Paul continues, he's writing to Christians, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. "...against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Friends, this is an amazing text. Paul gives us a glimpse here. He pulls back the curtain to the heavenly armory and shows us the storehouse of supplies that God has ready to give to us in order that we can have spiritual success in this ongoing spiritual warfare in which every Christian is engaged. But I want to show you something first. Just before we talk about the, the armor of God here, uh, these resources, this equipment that we're supposed to be outfitted with spiritually, I want you to notice, first of all, in verses 11 to 13, Paul first reminds us of the identity of our enemy, this enemy that we face in this great spiritual battle. Notice there. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, that or so that, or in order that, you may stand against the wiles of the devil. Friends, when we look across the battlefield, there's our enemy, our greatest adversary. The adversary that we all face, the adversary that we're up against spiritually, is the devil himself. He's a real being. His name is Satan. Satan. He's a powerful, fallen angel. He is a spirit being. And the Bible tells us that he is real. He's a fallen angel. And his desire is to see the work of God be diminished, sidetracked, sidelined. Friend, I want to say something to you this morning. Here we are again in 2020, about to enter an election year. Friend, I want you to know something. That your greatest enemy today is not a Democrat Your greatest enemy is not a Republican. Your greatest enemy is not a socialist. Your greatest enemy is not someone who's threatening to take away your guns. Those are not your greatest enemies. If you're a Christian, your greatest enemy is Satan. Satan. Don't ever forget that. What is it about Satan that makes him such a, such a foe, such an enemy? Well, verse 11 tells us it's his wiles. Wiles. That's another word for schemes. That word carries the idea of a cunning craftiness, deceptive methods, wicked strategies. And I know some of you are already pushing back. You're already pushing back. You're saying, well, I'm not going along with any of Satan's wiles. If you're obsessed with politics, you already are. If that's all you eat, breathe, live, and sleep is, is American politics, you've already bought into one of Satan's wiles. Because he's got you all obsessed with the leadership on a civic level. And you have totally ignored, you are forgetting the real battle, the spiritual battle. Friend, I'm reminding you again today, the great battle that we face as Christians is not political. It's spiritual so the Bible says Satan is our great enemy evil scheming is his strategy its wiles its schemes its craftiness its methods it's getting you distracted it's drawing you away from the things that really matter but the question still remains how can just one fallen angel wreak such havoc across the globe I mean Satan is a created being He was created to be a holy angel to serve God. He rebelled against God, took a number of the angels of heaven with him who also rebelled. So we ask the question, how does Satan wreak so much havoc across the globe today? Well, the answer is given to us there in verses 12 and following as Paul explains that Satan isn't working alone. He has a host of powerful Fallen, supernatural minions working under his leadership, and they are called demons. Demons are simply fallen angels who disobeyed God, rebelled against God, and now they are following Satan's leadership. Friend, I want to remind you of something today that many Christians often go wrong on, on Satan's nature. You need to hear it again, friend. Satan and God are not equals. Satan is a creature. He was a created being. Satan and God are not equals looking at each other across the heavens. Satan isn't God. Satan does not possess any of God's divine attributes. Satan is not omniscient. Satan does not know all. Satan is not omnipresent. He doesn't have unlimited uh, presence everywhere at the same time. He's not omnipotent as God is. He doesn't have unlimited power. Satan uses his demons, his minions, those fallen angels. They do his bidding. They carry out his wicked schemes and his plans and, and his uh, his cunning craftiness across the globe. Now, most Bible scholars look at verse 12 there. Uh, What most Bible scholars generally agree upon is what verse 12 gives us is kind of a categorical listing, a a hierarchy of sorts to explain Satan's evil empire. Paul uses some words there, principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness. Well, We think that probably what Paul's describing there are these different rankings, these different strata, these categories of this supernatural empire that that Satan is unleashing on the earth. So believers, we need to remember something this morning. We are in a battle, but our battle is not against flesh and blood. The greatest enemy you face is not political. It's spiritual. It's not against mere mortal men. We are in close combat against a spiritual hierarchy. This evil, corrupt, spiritual mafia of which Satan is the head. And it's this organized hierarchy that Satan is using and unleashing across the globe. And the Bible says that we have a strategy. A strategy is given to us in the battle. What is our main strategy? Do you know what your main strategy is as a Christian against this evil enemy? Here's your strategy. Do you see it? It is not to chase Satan it is not to rebuke Satan it is not to go on the attack against Satan there's your strategy do you see it stand firm stand firm Paul uses those words four times look at it verses 11 to 14 you see the word stand or withstand four times so that's our strategy It's to stand firm, to stand firm on the spiritual battlefield. So it's absolutely essential that we have resources if we're going to stand firm. We must be outfitted. And so now we begin to learn about the armor, the weapons that God has provided for, for our standing firm. So let's step through these, and you'll jot them down and make a few notes as we go. Let's just quickly step through them, see the significance. Again, I can't say everything that could be said about the armor of God, but we'll step through them quickly. First one there, you see the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians. When Paul wrote it, he was in Rome. He was a prisoner in Rome. He was chained to a Roman soldier. And so Paul spent a lot of hours looking at this Roman soldier. And Paul studied what this man was wearing, what he was outfitted in. And so Paul made a great analogy between this professional Roman soldier and what he understood to be the spiritual things that God has given us for our spiritual battle. And Paul starts with the belt, the belt of truth. Now, underneath of every Roman soldier's armor, they wore this long tunic. It was a long, uh, loose-fitting kind of cloth. And they needed a really wide belt that would cinch everything in tight and keep that fabric from flying everywhere during a fight once the chest piece was strapped on, it would typically get latched around and held firm by that belt. That belt is what holds and makes everything secure. Well, Paul says for the Christian, you got to put on your belt. What is it? It's what holds everything together, the belt of truth. That's God's Word. You have objective, reliable truth. Right here in this book is truth. Your whole spiritual life is bound up and held firm by the truth, in this book. But guess what? This isn't just abstract. This isn't just a bunch of trivia that's in your brain. No, this is reliable truth that you live out. You live it out in life, in truthfulness. You put on the belt of truthfulness. You live out the truth you know. Look at the next piece there, the breastplate, the breastplate of righteousness. Every soldier, every Roman soldier going into battle, after the belt came the breastplate. This was a piece of hand-tooled leather Sometimes it was polished metal, and it would protect, of course, it would protect the heart and all the vital organs here in the chest. Paul says the Christian better put on a chest piece, protect the most vital things. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is what we need, and the Bible teaches actually two aspects of righteousness. And we need them both, of course. We need both sides of righteousness. First side is the positional righteousness, positional righteousness. The moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, the Bible says you are now forgiven. You are in Christ. You are positionally secure. You are declared righteous. Nothing's ever going to change that. That's your position. But the Bible also teaches a practical righteousness that once you've trusted in Christ, you then live a righteous life. You live it out daily in a in a godly, holy kind of lifestyle. Look at the next piece there, the shoes. The shoes of gospel peace. Back in the back in the time of the Roman Empire, Roman soldiers wore typically very thick soled shoes. They, they almost looked like leather sandals. They were leather sandals that would tie with long uh, strings up around the calf area. But what was unique about Rome's uh, special? Uh, footwear for their soldiers was that the bottom of these shoes would typically have small little iron nails driven into them or little iron studs that help their soldiers gain traction in the soil so that the soldier would not be pushed back but that the soldier could get a grip and stand firm where they were well Paul writes that for the believer Engaged in this spiritual battle, our feet are standing firm in the gospel. The gospel. Romans 5.1 says this, Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christian friend, how are you going to hold your ground? How are you going to stand firm? How are you going to keep from getting pushed around? You rely on the shoes of the gospel. You know that the moment you trust in Christ... You have peace with God. Satan doesn't push you around anymore. You have peace with God. You're right with God. You've trusted in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Through what? Through the gospel. You stand firm in the gospel. You're now on God's side. You have peace with God. That's solid footing. See, the gospel gives you the solid footing to stand firm. Look at the next one, the shield of faith. The shield of faith, verse 16, Paul talks about the Roman soldier's shield. This is not some little round shield that they used to use, of course, later on in medieval times. The Roman soldier's shield was like four feet high, two feet wide. It was almost like a door. And they would latch those doors all together. And man, they almost make like a wall of protection, the way that they would use their shields. It was so big, it was like a door for soldiers to hide behind it. And no matter what the enemy did, right javelins, swords, arrows, the soldier was protected. And so for the believer, what is our shield? Paul tells us, the shield of faith. Faith, that confident trust, this trust that we keep on exercising. It's faith. Faith in God, faith in Christ, faith in His church, faith in His Word. Satan keeps shooting at us. He shoots his arrows. They're arrows of doubt. Get you to doubt, get you to disbelieve. He shoots lies He wants you to buy into the lies he shoots false doctrines he wants you to believe them he shoots temptations he wants you to go off into temptations of sin what's your primary protection what's your protection in those moments it's faith faith in Christ faith in the word faith in everything that God has given you to follow him first John chapter 5 verse 4 specifically says how do we overcome Through our faith. So that's your shield, the shield of faith. Then there's the helmet, of course. Every Roman soldier wore a helmet. Provided full protection, of course, for the head. So vitally important to the human body. Uh, Roman soldiers wore a helmet that was handcrafted. It was made from metal. It typically featured an open face, but it had cheek guards to protect the mouth and jaw area. It was typically held fast and firm by leather chin straps. And so every Roman soldier going into battle, you have to wear that helmet. Well, what's the Christian's helmet? The Bible says our head protection is the helmet of salvation. Now, I want you to remember something here. Paul is writing to these Ephesians, they're already Christians. They're already believers. So Paul is not telling the Ephesians that they that they need to find salvation or get salvation. He's writing to Christians who already have salvation. He wants them to be reminded of the assurance of salvation they already have. You see, friend, you need to know something here. One of Satan's great targets at Christians is coming through your mind. Satan wants you to doubt. He wants you to doubt. He wants you to stumble. He wants you to think, maybe you're not really a Christian. How could you think like that? How could you do that? How could you follow through on that? How could you give in to a sin like that? Maybe you're not even a Christian. The doubts. Where do the doubts come? What's the main target of doubt? Your mind. How do you fight off the doubt? The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. You hold fast to God's promise that all those who've trusted in Christ are saved uh, one of my favorite verses that always gives me encouragement, always gives me assurance, and whenever I'm stumbling or struggling, I come back again on my knees, I come back to 1 John 5, 11, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Here's the last piece of armor here, the last part the sword of the spirit sword of the spirit now up to this point we've been looking at all of this stuff it's all defensive in nature completely defensive now in verse 17 you finally get an offensive weapon only one this is it this is the only offensive weapon listed it's the only thing we have to strike back at the enemy what is it the sword of the spirit which is the word of god you know, in other words, friends, it's the Bible. It's the scripture. That's all you've got. That's all you've got to swing back, to have an offensive fight. The scripture is what you have. You know, so many people often look at Jesus Christ. They, they look at Jesus as the tender, meek, mild Jesus. Let me tell you, Jesus was a warrior. Jesus was a master swordsman with the sword of the spirit. Jesus was a master swordsman when he wielded this sword. Remember Matthew chapter four? Right after Jesus' baptism, Satan takes, leads Jesus out into the wilderness. There he's tempted after 40 days. And in this incredible account, we read that one after another, Satan is unleashing these temptations, these verbal attacks on Jesus. And Jesus is there. How does Jesus fight back? He uses the scriptures all three times in all three attacks. Jesus attacks back. He says, it is written. He uses the scriptures. Family, Jesus was a ninja master with this sword. He knew this sword. He knew how to use it. Friends, that's that's our weapon. This is our only offensive weapon. We need to know the Scriptures. If we're going to win some of those spiritual victories, we've got to follow Jesus' example. We've got to know this book. We've got to be proficient with this sword. We've got to know how to wield it. We've got to know the truth that's in this book and know how to wield it so we can win those victories. Dear friends, if this church family, if it's going to be successful in this time of transition, well, every believer needs to know there's a battle. There's a battle going on, and there's a very strong enemy that you're up against. But praise God, He has given the resources. All the resources necessary for Grace Baptist Church to keep marching on have been given. No, you don't need some more books. No, you don't need a bunch of more podcasts. What you need is God's strength, and you need God's provisions. So what do you need? Number one, you need to embrace the mighty strength of God. Number two, you need to employ the whole armor of God. Now, number three, you need to engage in frequent communication with God. Number three, you need to engage in frequent communication with God. Look at chapter 6 here, verse 18. Paul says, "...praying always and with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints." Now, Christian friends for for some years Bible scholars some of them have expressed their opinion that prayer they believe prayer to be the seventh piece of armor I don't think that's correct I think that's a mistake in interpretation I think it's pretty clear that prayer is not the seventh piece of armor because in every other case in this section Paul makes this analogy between a spiritual truth and he makes an analogy to some element of that soldier's, the Roman soldier's gear, right? Every time there is a one-for-one one kind of correlation. The, the belt of truth, shield of faith, sword of the Spirit, right? You see that. But notice in verse 18, Paul doesn't make any connection between prayer and any one component of a traditional Roman soldier, Paul simply just launches into this presentation on prayer. He shows how vitally important prayer is for the Christian in a spiritual battle. How many of us have sung that song so many times in church over the years? Stand up, stand up for Jesus. That famous hymn, right? Remember the the songwriter gets the lyric exactly right when he says this, Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. You see, I think that's right. I think the right way to understand this, this discussion about prayer is not to see prayer as a, a, a seventh component of the armor, but rather to see prayer. Prayer is the underlying spirit in which all of the armor gets used. Prayer is the energy. Prayer gives us the energy to use all of this equipment the right way. Look in your notes there. I gave you a quote from Dr. Warren Wearsby. Quote, prayer is the energy that enables the Christian soldier to wear the armor and wield the sword. I think that's right. Another Bible scholar, Harold Honer, said this, quote, nuclear wars cannot be won with rifles. Likewise, satanic wars cannot be won by human energy. Believers, I hope you're seeing the great connection between prayer and Success. The connection between prayer and spiritual success. Remember back to the Old Testament? We have a great example of this in God's Word. In the Old Testament days when the Amalekites were attacking God's people in Exodus 17, the Bible says Moses ascends to the top of the mountain to pray. Moses is there to pray while Joshua and the other warriors go into the valley for the fight. And the Bible tells us that ultimately the victory happens not merely because these guys were great warriors, but more importantly, because Moses was seeking God's face in prayer and asking God to give the victory. Friend, right there in God's Word is a perfect Old Testament illustration of what we're studying here in Ephesians 6. you got to take up the armor, but you do so with prayer. Prayer's always there. Prayer is always the means to victory. So if you want to wage war successfully as a Christian, what do you need? You need this continual communication with God. You know how important communication is today for the United States military? Communication. It's everything. If the communication goes down, our soldiers are done. Communication is so key across all the branches of our military. We spend millions of dollars every year as a nation to make sure that our communication abilities for our military is top shelf. We must have critical communication for our soldiers to succeed. And friends, that's what we're learning here. It's the same thing for the Christian. It's this communication with God. It brings you refreshment, brings you instruction, brings you help. It brings you wisdom. As a church family, in a time of transition, this church must be about prayer. If you're going to succeed, if you're going to march forward, especially in a time of transition, the church must be praying. This isn't the time for lethargy. This isn't the time for complacency. This is the time... For some of the most earnest prayers that you've ever prayed. You must be in prayer for your church. So, how are you to pray? How are you to pray? How do you go about praying? Well, just look there. Notice what Paul says. How do you go about the prayer? It's worth noting there the word always or the word all appears four times in just one verse. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So how do you go about this prayer communication? How are you supposed to do it? Well, you're to pray on all occasions. You say, is it the right time to pray? Yes. Yes. Should we pray now? Yes. How about tomorrow? Yes. How about next week? Yes. It's always the right time to pray on all occasions. You ought to be carrying yourself in prayer and be ready to pray at any time. It's lunchtime. Pray for your church. You're getting ready to go to bed. Pray for your deacons. You're getting ready to go into Walmart. You say, Lord, I hope I have enough money in my checkbook, but while I pray for that, Lord, can you bless our church? I mean, always, all situations. And you can pray all kinds of prayers. Short prayers, long prayers, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of intercession. Pray for yourself, pray for your deacons, pray for others, pray for your church. You're to pray with a spirit of watchfulness, Paul says. In other words, alertness, a sense of perseverance. You stick to it. You don't give up. And of course, as the verse concludes there, we're to pray especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're supposed to pray for our special soldiers in the battle. Brothers and sisters that we're lined up with, we pray for them that God would strengthen them. So how do you pray for a church going through transition? You better pray for these deacons up here. Pray for these men. Pray for the search committee or the pulpit committee that will be convened. Pray for your guest speakers. Pray that they would continue to preach God's word powerfully. Pray for that pulpit committee. Pray for your interim pastor who will come and shepherd you in the meantime. Pray for your fellow church members. That you will remain one united army, marching together in lockstep for Christ. You know, maybe maybe you're here today, you've heard this whole message and you're not a Christian. And you'd acknowledge that, you say, I'm not a Christian. Uh, Maybe you've never realized it before, friend, that there is this spiritual warfare that's going on all around us. Maybe that's news to you. Maybe that's shocking for you to hear that there is a spiritual war that's going on all around the globe right now. Well, friend, that might be shocking to you, but I'll give you something that will shock you further. The truth of the Bible is, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, dear friend, you're on the wrong side of the battle. Not only is it shocking to hear that there's a spiritual war going on, it's even more shocking that if you don't know Christ, you're on the wrong side. We often hear it today, we want to make sure we're on the right side of history really how about the right side of eternity what about when Jesus comes back Jesus himself said in Luke eleven twenty three, 23 he who is not with me is against me in other words dear listener if you are not a Christian if you have not trusted in Christ the Bible says you're on the wrong side You're on the wrong side of the battle. You're on the side that's destined for defeat. Eternal defeat. Friend, what is your only hope? I'll tell you. Lay down your weapons today and come to Jesus. Lay down your armaments today and come to Jesus. Come over to the side of Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Repent of your sins. Repent of your rebellion against God. Repent of your rebellion against His ways and His truth. And come to Christ the Savior that God sent for you. Come to Christ. Put your trust in Him. Believe on Jesus, that He alone is the one who can forgive you of your sins and bring you into God's family. Friend, that's the good news of the Gospel. The word Gospel means good news. And the good news is that all those who lay down their weapons and come to Christ by faith and say, Lord Jesus, I have been a rebel at heart, and I need You. The Bible says everyone who does that is welcomed. Jesus welcomes you. He forgives you. And He then brings you into His family. Friend, would you turn to Christ today? Come to Him by faith. Lay down your arms. Come to Him by faith. And He will turn you from a foe into a friend. Christians, we're concluding this morning. I hope that as we've looked at these verses, I hope they'll give you just a a potent reminder that the Christian life... It's not a playground. It's a battleground. It's not a playground. It's a battleground. Far too many Christians today are failing miserably as spiritual soldiers because they're so busy entertaining themselves rather than engaging the enemy. Christian friend, would you just search your own heart today? Christian friend, let me ask you, do you even realize you're a soldier? Do you even realize that you're a Christian soldier, that you're a soldier for Christ in a mighty cosmic warfare that's going on right now? friend. do you realize that you, yes, you, Christian, you are engaged in the battle of a lifetime? If so, are you ready to win? Are you ready to win some of those daily skirmishes? Look, if you want to experience victory, you need to undertake these three actions we've talked about today. You need to embrace the mighty power of God. You look to God. You need His strength according to His glorious might. Then you need the armor. You need to employ the whole armor of God. You put on each piece with prayer so you can stand firm in these dark, evil days. Then thirdly, you have to engage in frequent communication. Listen, you're a Christian soldier, but prayer, prayer is the air that the spiritual soldier breathes. Prayer is the spiritual air. Prayer is the power that energizes your soul. Prayer is what enables you to use that armor and wield that sword effectively. Christian friends, it was 1993. I was sitting there in a Marine Corps recruiting office. If you talked to me, I would have told you. I'm not the military type. And maybe some of you here this morning Maybe you feel that same way. You say, I'm not really the military type. But Christians, when you look into God's Word, when you study Ephesians 6, there you learn that spiritual warfare is not just for the few, the proud, the Marines. No, spiritual warfare is for every single family member who belongs to Christ. So dear friends, in this my final message to Grace Baptist Church. I charge you to hear the call to battle. I charge you to rise up as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. I charge you to come together and fight on and make your heavenly general proud. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and the victory will be yours. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favourite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.